Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were condemned for what they didn't do. And God was condemned for what we did do. If you've been with us recently, you know that Pastor Clay is taking us through a study of the book of Daniel in a series entitled, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. We certainly hope you've been enjoying this series, but today we're observing the Lord's Supper here at Cross Culture Church. And so today's message is focusing on the sacrifice that God made for us through His death on the cross and what that sacrifice means to each of us. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, God was condemned not for what He did, but for what we did. We sinned, and Jesus Christ chose to allow Himself to be condemned on our behalf. Because He took on our sin, we were able to be made righteous in the sight of God. We've come to chapter 3 in our series from Daniel, and that's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. Today, Pastor Clay is going to make some comparisons between the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the story of Christ's sacrifice for us. And next week, we'll take a closer look at the fiery furnace events of our lives and what we can learn from them. But today's focus is on the cross of Jesus Christ and what that means for all of us. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Uh, did any of you uh, maybe see this in the news? This was uh, sometime last year. I'm not exactly sure when it was. I think it was in 2012. But did anybody happen to catch the story about the, the mayor, actually his ex-mayor of Flint, Michigan? He kind of got ran out of office uh, with some questionable conduct or I don't know what all the story was, and there's always two sides of every story. But uh, he basically got ran out of office, and uh, as... Uh, Maybe kind of a way to get back at uh, the folks that did that to him or the city of Flint, Michigan. Some of you hear about this guy that erected a statue of himself, this bronze statue of himself. Um, uh, this giant bronze statue of himself. I forget the guy's name, but uh, I assume it's still there unless neighbors have torn it down. But uh, he, he put up this giant bronze statue of himself uh, outside of his uh, mansion. The news story said outside of his mansion. And the neighbors weren't real happy about it for some reason. <laughs> this guy having this giant bronze statue of himself. But I think it's probably safe to say that um, uh, you got you got to be pretty uh, pretty secure in who you are to be to want to put a, a a giant statue of yourself up anywhere. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, this king we've been looking at in the early chapters of the book of Daniel, we're working our way. At, through this series, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 dreamed about this giant, uh, a, a giant statue. And we spent two or three weeks walking through the different parts of that statue and, and what those parts represent and all that sort of thing. In chapter 3, where we're starting into this morning, we run into another statue. But this time it's a statue that Nebuchadnezzar himself builds of himself. Now, uh, let me just tell you uh, right up front that we're going to be, we'll read all the way through chapter 3 today, uh, but we'll be back in chapter 3 again next week, and we'll look 
probably more specifically at some of the application directly from Daniel chapter 3 and, and the experiences of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what we can learn from that in the, the, the fiery furnace experiences of our own lives. Can I get an amen? Does anybody have those fiery furnace experience? I know maybe not actually a fiery furnace, but those types of events in our lives that feel that way. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll delve into some of that. But this week, uh, because we are commemorating what Christ did for us, uh, specifically through this, this act or what the church sometimes refers to as this ordinance, this practice of remembering what Christ did for us, remembering it through uh, this breaking of bread and through the taking of the, of the fruit of the vine, symbolizing his body broken, symbolizing his blood shed. As we do that today, I thought I would just, we would take some time and just look at Daniel chapter 3 and look at this event that occurred in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life, and then kind of compare it to the event of the cross. Okay, if we do that for a few moments this morning. Can I say to you as we start uh, this uh, part of our service, uh, we say at Cross Culture each time that we take the Lord's Supper and we do this uh, once a quarter, that uh, we like to remind people that it is the Lord's Supper. It's because sometimes people ask us, do we have to be a member specifically of Cross Culture Church to partake of the Lord's Supper? Uh, our belief is no. Uh, you should be a part of the body of Christ. You should have accepted Christ as your Savior. And we'll talk some about that uh, today. But it is the Lord's Supper. It's not Cross Culture's Supper. We get to share it together as a body. But what I'm saying to you is um, that as God's Spirit leads you and as you're living your life in accordance to God's will for your life, that when the time comes uh, in a few moments that you are invited to come and partake uh, in these elements. Uh, but we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. Open your Bibles there, uh, whatever, uh, hard copy, digital copy, whatever you have. Daniel chapter 3. Y'all all right? Come on now. Um, I missed y'all last week. It was, y'all have no idea how excruciating it is for me to have to cancel a service. I agonize over it and am never happy about it. But So I missed y'all. I was looking forward all week to, to being with you. Thanks for not disappointing me. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Daniel chapter 3. We're going to talk about a, a few uh, comparisons uh, this morning. And, and here's what we're going to start with. If you'd like to fill in outline, there's one on the back of your information sheet. But here's what we're going to start with this morning. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were condemned for what they didn't do. And God was condemned for what we did do. They were condemned for what they didn't do, what they refused to do. God was condemned, ladies and gentlemen, for what we did do. Now let's start reading Daniel chapter 3, and we'll read through verse 12. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province, provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Sure, it had something to do with that whole fiery furnace thing as motivation. Verse 8, for this reason at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Fascinating story. For those of you that may have grown up in church or grown up in a Sunday school, it's one of those stories you probably heard from the earliest uh, days. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. There's a couple of interesting things about uh, this, uh, this experience, this encounter here. One of the interesting things about it to me is the absence of Daniel from this story. I mean, up to this moment... Humanly speaking, Daniel has been the main player in this thing. And now, poof. I mean, it's just like he's nowhere to be found. Not a mention of him is made in chapter 3. Now, we don't know if he was gone on a trip. We don't know if the king maybe gave him some sort of special pass to get out of this one, that he didn't have to be there. We, we, we don't know. But he wasn't there. And can I just say this to you? I, I kind of like that. I kind of like the fact that Daniel's not in this story. Not because I don't like Daniel, but because it says to us that anybody, listen to me, anybody can be a part of the story of God. Up to this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are are bit players at best. There's no question that Daniel is the the leader of of this bunch. There's no question that, that he has these, these great gifts and he has the abilities to, to receive dreams and interpret dreams. And, and, you know, he took that bold stand. About not, you know, all this stuff that he's, he's done. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just, these, oh yeah, they're, they're like Daniel's posse or something. You know, they're just kind of there with him. And it says to us that in the midst of all this, that anybody, regardless of what gifts or talents you think you may have or not have, that anybody can be a part of the story of God. I like that. Another kind of fascinating thing to me about uh, chapter 3 is that chapter 3 centers around this giant statue. And it is immediately following 
another giant statue that we saw in chapter 2. I just think it's fascinating that in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about a giant statue. And then in in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, he goes out and builds himself a giant statue. Now, the one in uh, chapter 2 only had one part that was golden, only the head, and only that part represented Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. But this statue that Nebuchadnezzar goes out and builds in chapter 3, he builds that whole sucker out of, out of solid gold. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost as if he's challenging God to a duel. It's almost as if he's challenging God's authority because, yes, God said that, okay, you're going to have a great kingdom, but after you is going to come the Medo-Persian Empire, after you, them is going to come the Greek Empire, after, so on and so forth, if you were here with us. And it's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar says, well, no, well, I'm going to establish a kingdom that's going to, going to last. All that being said, what ends up is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to do it. They say, no, we, we, we won't do it. We will not bow down to this graven image. And so as a result, they are condemned for it. The irony, of course, is that God was condemned for what we did do. God was condemned for our sin. God was condemned for our rebellion. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, or maybe you're listening uh, to the podcast or something, and you're thinking, well, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person. I don't really think of myself as, as trying to rebel against God. Listen, trying's got nothing to do with it. You have rebelled against God. I have rebelled against God. We all have rebelled against God. Just to remind you, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Maybe you're more familiar possibly with this one, Romans 3, 23. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Everybody. Humanly speaking, every person has defied God in some way. They've said, done, thought, acted on something that God would not have us to do. The Bible calls that sin and all of us are guilty. There's none any better than any other. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or white or black or pink polka dotted. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. It doesn't matter. We have all rebelled. We have all sinned against God. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Let's make that personal. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see? God was condemned not for what he did, but for what we did. We sinned, and Jesus Christ chose to allow himself to be condemned on our behalf. And because he was made sin, because he took on our sin, we were able to be made righteous in the sight of God. Christ's righteousness is imparted to us. When we come into a relationship with him. Peter puts it this way. in 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ himself suffered for sins once. Watch this. He was not guilty. It's not what he did. But he suffered for those who are guilty. Why? To bring you to God. Now, okay. When, when, we, when we stop. When we slow down enough to think about that. In our lives. When we slow down enough 
and, and by the way, rarely do we, right? In the business life, we've got so much going on and all this stuff. But when we slow down enough to actually contemplate the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for my sins. Forget, the, forget this whole world stuff for a minute, okay? I mean, it's important. <laughs> but, I mean, let's just make it personal. He went to the cross and died for my sins. When you slow down enough, by the way, by the way, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's an opportunity for us to slow down from the business of life and to contemplate, to appreciate what Christ did for us. But when you slow down enough to consider what Christ did for you, that it was your sins that nailed him to the cross, how does that make you feel? Because if your first response is, that makes me feel bad, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because I say it's never a bad thing. It's never a bad thing to feel bad about bad things. It's never a bad thing to feel bad about bad things. Because number one, it means that I acknowledge my sin. That I recognize that I am a sinner. And listen, that's not always as easy as you think it is. I've had discussions with people before that refuse to acknowledge the fact that they have violated the law of God. I've talked to plenty of people that will readily admit, oh, yeah, I know I've done some stuff God's not happy with. But, but I've had conversations with people that said, no, yeah, no. No, I'm not a bad person. No, I have to acknowledge my sin. So it's not a bad thing to think about my sin and what Christ did for me. Number two, it probably means that I'm aware of my sin. I don't just mean aware of sins that I've committed in the past, okay? That's kind of goes along with the acknowledgement part. But what I'm talking about is in my daily walk, my daily life, my daily interactions with other people, I'm more conscious, I'm more aware, I'm more sensitive to those times in my life. I know it probably never happens to y'all, but to me, the times in my life when I begin to, to move in a direction that is contrary to what God would want me to do in my life, whether it's to, to covet something that somebody else has, whether it's to think a lustful thought, whether it's to... Uh, get angry uh, for, you know, whatever the sinful thing might be that would begin to come into my life, to be aware of that in my life, to be more sensitive to it, and therefore, hopefully, more, more apt, more desirous to walk a life of holiness, a, a life that honors God instead of a, a life that, that dishonors God. And, and in third, it, it not only makes me knowledge and aware of my sin, but it makes me appreciate having my sin removed. To slow down as we'll do today and to, to take these elements and to think about that it was my sin. It makes me appreciate that I've had my sin removed, folks. I've had my sin removed. I don't know if you can say that or not here. I don't know who, everybody here, I don't know, what, I don't know if you can say that or not. But I have had my sin removed, washed clean, removed from me, as the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west. Because of Christ's sacrifice for me. I appreciate that. And listen, can I just say this and we'll move on? Being appreciative of what Christ has done for me, I don't know about you, but it just helps me in life. It just, I'm just, life is just better when I know I'm redeemed. Life is just better when I know I'm forgiven. Because no matter what comes against me, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what the circumstances are, I am redeemed. And nothing can change that. No circumstance, no event. All right, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about another one. Here's the second idea. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to suffer for God. And God was willing to suffer for us. Read verse 13. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Listen, let me, I'll finish reading the same, but let me just stop right here and say, you, you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, what a radical concept this is, what a radical idea it is to them. It's why Nebuchadnezzar asked the question because it, it just didn't work that way in the ancient world. Whatever country, you know, every country, every province, every empire basically had their own set of gods, their own beliefs. And if you fell, uh, fell under the rule of that empire, if you came under their domination, if you moved into that, whatever the case may be, it, you, you left those other gods behind because they're the gods of that country or that nation or that empire. And you're, now you're over here, so you, you go along with these gods. That's just the way it worked. So Nebuchadnezzar's like, Really? Is it, is it really true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the moment, you hear the sound of the... Why do they have to repeat the instruments every time? You know? I don't know. Now, if you're ready at the moment, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship... You will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Watch this. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. You got to love these guys. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We don't even need to say a word. Oh, king, if it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. (laughs) Verse 18, but even if he does not, let it be known to you. Boy, this is a bold statement to say to a guy who holds all authority. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, we'll talk more about this next week. We'll talk more about their stance and, and that sort of thing. But, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are willing to suffer for God if need be. Because the implication of the text is they have all, they have all confidence that God is able to deliver them, right? Any of you in this room who at some time in your life have or have had a loved one who's been diagnosed with some illness, some disease, some cancer, some heart, some whatever it might be, and your faith, you would say that statement. I have all confidence that God can, can speak the word and that cancer can be gone, right? But <laughs> are we willing to say but even if he does not, I will not dishonor my God. Even if he does not answer my prayer in the way that I would hope that he would, in the way that I wish that he would, and the way that I think that he should, even if he does not, I will not dishonor my God. In their case, I will not dishonor him by bowing down to your image, king, or to you. Man, I could just go off on that, but we'll save that for next week. The point is, they really didn't know how this was going to turn out. I really don't think they knew how it was going to turn out. And the amazing thing is, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ knew exactly how it was going to turn out. 
He knew exactly what it meant for him to come to this earth. He knew it. And he was willing to do it. Do you understand me? He knew that it was going to, to end in a, in a false arrest on trumped up charges. He knew that it was going to end up in a false trial with lying witnesses. He knew. He knew that it was going to end up with a scourging, a, a, a beating with this instrument known as the cat of nine tails that would rip the flesh from his body and would leave him so, so marred, so scarred that the text indicates that he didn't even look like a man anymore, but just blood and muscle and flesh and skin. He knew it. He knew the nails would be driven in his hands and his feet. He knew they would mock him. He knew the cross was in front of him. He knew every bit of it, and still he was willing to do it. It's astounding that he was willing to do it, even wanting to do it. Now, somebody might say, well, come on, I mean, how do you really know that he knew that he was going to go through that? Because that's been one of the charges. Maybe, maybe he just, you know, he, he became this political leader and people liked his teaching. And so they, they put him up on a pedestal and, and all that kind of stuff. And maybe he's just going along and before he knows it, he just kind of got caught up in this whole political intrigue thing and, and somehow got himself killed. How, how do you really know that he knew? Well, how about Matthew chapter 20? I don't know, let's start with that one. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves and on the way, he said to them, and he's, by the way, he's saying this all the time to his disciples, and it's just not sinking in, apparently. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to, well, I'm sorry, what's that next word? We all say that? What's that? Death. Death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. Oh, and on the third day, he's going to be raised up. <laughs> Oh, by the way, by the way, when Jesus said that in Matthew 20, when he's coming into Jerusalem, buddy, that, it's, a, it's party time. They are setting up, they're throwing blankets out and, and uh, their coach out in front of him, and then they're waving palm branches, which was this, this messianic thing, uh, basically declaring, hey, the Messiah showed up, he's in town. And, I, mean, they, I mean, the crowd is with him, and they're all excited. And Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, they're going to they gonna crucify me. Okay, how about Mark chapter 8? And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter. How about Mark chapter 9, verse 31? For he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, he will rise again three days later. Jesus knew it and he was willing to do it. Now, by the way, when I say that he was willing to, I don't want you to think that some, some idea that he looked forward to this. I don't think he looked forward to the, the suffering and the pain and, and, and the hurt. I, I, don't think, I don't think he was looking forward to being suspended between heaven and earth and in some way that you and I don't understand all of the sins of the world, all of the sins of humanity, past present, future. Listen, I don't understand that, okay? All the sins that you or I would ever commit were placed upon him on that moment, in that moment in time and space. 
and created, I believe, created a, a pain and agony, a spiritual and physical agony that you and I will never be able to comprehend. Now, I, I don't mean in that sense he was looking forward to it, but what I mean is he wanted to do this for you. He wanted to make it possible for you and I to be redeemed and to be adopted into the family of God. And so he willingly suffered for you. Please, 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 if you come forward this morning in a few moments and you partake of these elements, as you, as you take this bread, remembering that it was broken, it was torn, it was ripped for you. As you take this, this cup, this fruit of the vine that represents the blood of Christ, and you take it to your, to your lips and to your mouth, would you remember that his blood was shed for you and he willingly did it? And it had nothing to do with you deserving it or me deserving it or anything else. It had to do with his willingness and his desire to have us as a part of the family of God. All right, here's a, here's a third idea real quick. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were protected from all of it, and God experienced all of it. Uh, Real quickly, in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all know that look? Any of y'all that had parents? He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. No, normal heating's not enough to burn them up. Seven times he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. And then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And for this reason, because the king's man was, command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, The flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. Duh, yeah, three men. We threw them in there. He said, Look. I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace, a blazing fire. Man, I'd love to have been there. (laughs) He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's stance is typical, typical. When, when our life is filled with pride. And clearly, Nebuchadnezzar has, has an egotistical, prideful problem. It's going to catch up with him in chapter 4. But clearly, this guy is stuck on himself, as oftentimes many people in high positions and authority can be. And when these three nobodies, as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, said, No, king, you can throw us in if you want. We're not going to bow down to you. 
or your golden image. His reaction of anger is just, because that's what we do, right? When somebody comes against us, when somebody says something that offends us, anger is almost always the first reaction that comes into our lives, isn't it? So the king says, heat it up, boys. Heat it up seven times higher. One normal heating is not enough to burn these men. So hot that the dudes that tie them up and carry them in there in uh, a flare-up or whatever the case may be, they get smoked, they're torched, they're killed. I'm assuming that in that process, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell on into the fire because I'm pretty sure if the king had had to get some other guys to to pick them back up and go ahead and put them in, nobody's going to be taking up that job. So I'm assuming when those guys got burned up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell on into the furnace. And the king is astounded by what he sees. I mean, if he was impressed with, with Daniel's God that could interpret dreams, he must really be impressed with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, who was the same God, of course, for what he was able to do. They take their stand. They're willing to, take, to suffer whatever results from it. And their clothes don't burn up. Their hair's not singed. They don't even smell like smoke. Talk about fire insurance. And the irony of this whole thing is that that God refused to do that for himself. He protected them utterly, completely, totally, absolutely. So they don't even smell like smoke. But the Son of God went to the cross and took on every bit of it. Experienced every bit of the pain, the hurt, the suffering, the sin, the shame. Every bit of it. He willingly, I say it again, he willingly took it on himself. He paid a debt that you and I could never pay ourselves. And no amount of religion, no amount of money, no amount of anything else could ever make it right. See, listen, here's something that you need to understand about God and, and our sin. You need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that God is too holy to ignore our sin. God is too holy to ignore our sin. And some people kind of like it that way. Sometimes people in our culture would say, well, uh, uh, well what Okay, why can't your God, why can't he just ignore it? Why, why can't he just look the other way? Can you imagine a world where God just looked the other way at sin? Can you imagine the chaos and the carnage in a world where God just ignored sin? Now, in some respects, there may be some experiencing of that uh, during the tribulation period. But, but can you imagine, as bad as you think this world is, as much... Stuff you think isn't, could you imagine a world where God simply ignores our sin? No, God cannot ignore, will not ignore our sin. His holiness will not allow him to do it. You need to understand this as well. God's too just to excuse our sin. And and I hear that one too, right? This thought that God is just some... Some amiable, you know, old guy up in the sky. He's, he, he's like a heavenly grandfather. Kind of pats us on the head and kind of smiles. And says, oh, now you know, you're not supposed to do that. Like I do with my grandkids. You know, you're not supposed to do that. Go ahead. Uh, this, this idea that God is that way. And, and I've heard people say this. Well, a, a God of love would never condemn anyone. I've used this, uh, this analogy or one like it before, but, and I know it's terrible to even think about, but can you imagine if someone broke into your home and 
murdered a loved one of yours, a, a child, a parent, a spouse, took their life. Can you imagine the police catching, apprehending that person and taking them to jail and then bringing them to trial? And can you imagine the prosecutor presenting all of the overwhelming evidence of the guilt of that person? And then can you imagine at the end of that trial, the judge finally speaks up from behind the bench and he says, wow, that guy really shouldn't have done what he did. It was terrible. But, but I'm just way too nice a guy to sentence this guy. You can ask anybody. I, I'm just too loving of a judge to, to ever condemn uh, this guy. So case dismissed. Can you, can you even? No, you can't even imagine that, can you? Because in that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you would, you would cry out, you would demand justice. You would demand that justice be served. And so it is with a holy God who is simply too just to just excuse our sin away. But listen to me, here's, it, it, it gets, gets even better. God is too loving to leave us in our sin. Let me just say that. He's just too loving to leave us in our sin. He couldn't do that either. He, he, his holiness wouldn't let him ignore it. His justice wouldn't let him excuse it, but his love won't let him leave us in it. And so he came and he took on flesh and he took that flesh to the cross and he suffered and bled and died so that you and I could have a relationship with him. Look, look at this. Can, can I just show you this passage of scripture in uh, Hebrews chapter 9? Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Something had to be done. His holiness had to be met. His justice had to be met. And so his love met his holiness and his justice by shedding his own blood for our sins. Let me leave you with this thought before we introduce the Lord's Supper. First John chapter 4 says this. Maybe you know this verse. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is just a big $10 word that simply means that God willingly chose to be the sacrifice, to be the payment for my sin. That's the God that we reflect on today. That's the God that we remember today. Thanks, Pastor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were certainly role models that we can all learn something from. And as I said at the beginning of today's program, we'll see some specific application next week as we look again to chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. But today, we're reminded of the great love that our God has for us and the great sacrifice that He made for us. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, the cross is where Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life for us so that He could draw us near to Him. He paid the debt that we could never pay. We all fully deserve punishment for our sins, but God's love for us compelled Him to suffer in our place and to pay our debt. The elements of the Lord's Supper remind us that His body was broken and His blood was shed on our behalf. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. 
And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.